Hi, this is Dr. Carl Goldcamp. If you're interested in learning about the ketogenic diet like I was, to save my own life, then this is probably the podcast for you. Eight years ago, I knew nothing about it. Six years ago, it saved my life. Three years ago, I started researching and talking with some of the authorities in the field and attending medical conferences about this to understand why and how keto so dramatically changed my and my wife's Judy's lives. The purpose of this podcast is to share our journey of discoveries with you in understanding how keto is so effective in improving so many different conditions from obesity, epilepsy, diabetes, infertility, MS, Alzheimer's, heart disease, to name a few. So take a step away from all the hype you've probably heard and roll up your sleeves with me and join me weekly to explore this living miracle that anyone can access. We'll talk science, we'll talk food. We'll explore its history and evolution to today, which is that the sheer wonder of the ketogenic way of eating has changed untold number of lives, unlike anything before it. And in case I forget to mention it, please join our Facebook group, Keto Naturopath. Hi, this is Dr. Goldcamp, and I just wanted to make a brief rejoinder from part one to part two of the interview with Dr. Westman. As you know, in part one, we talked about a few cases that, he's, that have benefited from the ketogenic diet, both in his clinic, obesity and lifestyle clinic, and some of very unusual cases. So that sort of sets the stage for there's a lot of unknown out there that can benefit from keto. So there's one thing we heard about the context of how he uses it in his particular clinic and when he started with that, how he went from the research for on Dr. Atkins into establishing approaching Duke as a special clinic. That's pretty impressive when you think about it. He approached Duke to sort of say, you know, why don't we start a special clinic specifically on this? And in that clinic, obviously have bariatric surgery, which is surgery to in various ways to shrink the stomach. And then the other part is the non-surgical and that's what he does. Part two that will be coming up is actually going to be a longer part to listen to. And, and in that, we're going to talk about his research he did with and on the Atkins diet with Robert C. Atkins and Jackie Eberstein. That's an interesting story to listen to, especially uh, Jackie's perspective when, uh, as, as told from Dr. Westman. Also, what has changed in Dr. Westman's thinking from when he started working with the Atkins diet slash ketogenic diet to what he thinks now. There has been a big change and it's uh, it's incredible to listen to. Also, we're going to hear about his view on what may become, if certainly if it was up to him, a beginning of a new discipline in medicine called keto medicine. And in one way, it seems sort of naive and obvious, but why would it be a separate discipline? And the idea the genesis behind all that is that as you get into following the various applications for the ketogenic diet in so many different conditions, that it is no longer just about weight loss, you know, and it's no longer just about epilepsy, which is the beginning of the formal ketogenic diet, classic ketogenic diet, as they say. So we're going to go far beyond that. And that's really interesting. You know, can you imagine there be a thing that you're now going to see a doctor who is specialized in ketogenic medicine. Something to think about. And last, we'll end up with uh, the talk about the two companies he's founded. One is the Heal Clinics, which is something that's evolving. It's 
uh, really interesting. He has a fundraiser for it, and and it's about bringing a ketogenic diet into various um, various and many different disciplines in these particular clinics. Because often a clinic, a doctor in particular, is so specialized, he doesn't, he or she does not have time to take off to go learn this other discipline and what are they doing. So they can borrow, if you will, and bring somebody into their clinic who's a specialist, a PA or something like that. The more details they come and he'll go over that. He and Jackie Everstein are the masterminds behind that. And the next company is called Adapt Your Life, which is a company that I've gotten to know, we've worked with a little bit, that they make some incredible products that are specifically designed for people on keto, very effective. Perhaps in a couple months, most definitely this will happen, but perhaps it will be in a couple months, we'll have Glenn Finkel, who's the co-founder of that. It's a South African company, a brilliant guy. He's a food scientist, among other things. And we'll talk to him about that because there's a lot to it. Okay, on to part two. Bye. Yeah. Yep. No, that's amazing. I think of, um, so now I'm, I'm back in your practice and I'm seeing people come in as we sit down to talk with them. And the story was kind of ordinary because it was about weight loss, but it was extraordinary in terms of the effectiveness. And so this was a person who lived somewhat locally, either in Durham, Raleigh, but in that greater area and being general. And he was so heavy that he weighed over 200 pounds in second grade. And his weight got up to over 400 pounds. And so when he was in your, this, I think this is a return office call. And so when he came back, um, I saw him and he was now under 200. And it was the first time. And so he's about early 30s. Um, it was the first time in his entire life, which he has been less than his second grade weight. And <laughs> he had been over 400. And I, you know, he has the skin to take care of and so on. But this guy was so focused. He was, he was determined to find, you know, he, he scoured, he looked and he was, and somehow he goes, I didn't realize there was an expert local, you know, locally mm-hmm. in, in uh, the Durham Raleigh area. And boy, did that life change. You know, I, 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 I couldn't come out, but thinking it, what a dramatic, you know, fork in the road this person has taken. You know, yeah. he was, he was hardworking. He was bright. He was athletic. Once you, once all this was uh, leaving him, it's like, it was stunning. Yeah. Most people just need the right information. You know, they just need to know what to do to make it work. And then it, it really is relatively easy compared to other approaches for weight loss where there's a lot of hunger because right. the hunger goes away so quickly in a day or two. Um, that is really motivating for people. And, and that's one of the secrets to the keto diet success that the hunger goes away. And we, you know, we explain it that because you're fat burning so well and, and the ketones go up, but no one really knows. You know, there seems to be a little more ghrelin that that gets put out. And, you know, although these hormones um, in each of them by themselves don't seem to do much, you know, but uh, the whole sum total of the change on a keto diet is profound. You know, we crank out some big people in Durham, North Carolina. Yeah, the 200. Well, you know, my kids were in the, the Durham public health uh, or public school system. And um, it just the, the carb consumption was unbelievable, not only at home, but also at school. The first thing you do is you feed people, feed the kids pancakes with syrup. And, and, and then they're still hungry. So you feed them more. And so hunger is, uh, 
being thought of as food insecurity. You need to give cure the hunger, but you don't cure hunger by giving more carbs. They just stay hungry. <laughs> so that whole system is, is uh, has a lot of work uh, to be done. It does. There's a whole other institute, right? There's a whole other institute that sort of is is crying out for an adjustment, but as you know, I think politics or political influence, but it seems inevitable. I mean, when you send somebody back like, like this person uh, or enough of them in the area that it changed that are maybe administration, you know, like what's happening now in the UK that there's two people that uh, testified in front of parliament last week. Uh, yeah. That was uh, exciting. I was like, yeah. when would that ever happen in the United States? <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, here's hoping soon. They don't want to be too upstaged by what goes on in the UK, but it was dramatic. Well, I have to think that the smaller countries are going to be able to make the changes faster um, without the influence of the nefarious influence of the food and drug companies, which, you know, that's creating this Gordian knot of why uh, this message, one reason why it's hard to get it out, uh, it, you know, perturbs the, the flow of money of those systems. Yeah, I know. People come off medicine in my clinic, you know, so. Yeah. Uh, I know we've talked peripherally about this, but I'm I'm uh, serious about the whole community uh, college and getting involved with uh, some sort of aspect of that. I think it's kind of like the pre-med school, get something basic in there. Who knows where it goes, but at least it's uh, a public display. of, and, and it can happen anywhere. It's just one of those things that anybody can do anywhere with a little training, I think. I I want to pivot now. Actually, you know, it's so much fun to think about. I want to do one, more, one or two more patients that were dramatic to me when I'm looking remembering my visit there it's like one was is you know pcos we've talked about this before but mm -hmm. talk about a dramatic change in somebody's life we there is there was a woman who um there's a number of women actually this wasn't just one but they had already sort of given up that part of my life has gone by you know they're, they're right. like there it's gone by it's like don't open they don't want to be encouraged to hope and you certainly weren't you know say hey this is all that can change but when they're coming back and saying hey some changes have have happened, they're like halfway there already. And yeah. that's, you know, that's like the person who lost all the weight. That's like McCurdle's disease, the glycogen storage, it's like the epilepsy, uh, the GLUT4. You know, it's like, wow. And they don't know what to do that somebody just totally changed their life with that. But it's, you know, and what I like about your disposition and all that, you're, you, you pull back on the excitement, you, you share that, but you sort of say, because they have to carry the burden. It has to be them that wants to do this. And right. say, yep, these things are possible. And you know, page four and uh, come to our class or uh, go back to page four if you've been to our class. That's very yeah. impressive. You ever get tired oh, no. of that? <laughs> well, you know, as an internist, it's very rare for one of my patients to become pregnant. And I'm you know, not a GYN doc. And uh, that is pretty gratifying. You know, one of the warnings we have for a keto diet is you might, get your periods back and you might actually get pregnant before your first period because you may ovulate. And if you don't have any contraception, you may actually get pregnant. And, and PCOS is a, a interesting problem because it's not only weight related, but it's also carbohydrate related because of the hormonal changes that occur from the carbohydrate leading to an increase in testosterone. So a lot of people think, oh, just any weight loss, but no, changing the carbs can actually have a change in the metabolism and create ovulation and periods return, you know, almost immediately. And so those are the, yeah, it's almost like that epilepsy 
scenario where overnight the seizures go away. Uh, anyway, so uh, sadly, most of the people I see with PCOS have already, and infertility, have already gone through the standard infertility treatments that the GYNs have. I mean, we have, a, of course, we have a, a cutting edge infertility treatment center at Duke, and when they're all done there and, and they fail, then oh, well, maybe you ought to go over see <laughs> Dr. Westman because <laughs> you know they they do their thing, and you know it would be great if they would could try what we do first, you know, right. I have to think they have plenty of business over on the other side of town at the infertility clinic. But anyway, the positioning that part of this is jockeying for position within the specialties. You know, I, I share a lot of people with diabetes with the diabetologists and the patients will often vote with their feet to stay with me and then finally say, you know, well, I'm off the medicine and I've lost all this weight. Do I really need to see my endocrinologist anymore? And I kind of looked and said, well, you know, it's up to you, you know, but I don't know why. So, you know, uh, that's where the whole idea of this being a new specialty or, or at least, you know, obesity medicine is the field I've been in. Um, and it's, it may be a subset of obesity medicine. And of course, no one's heard of obesity medicine either. <laughs> but um, not all obesity medicine specialists use a keto diet. Most of them use medication and, and um, yep. claim that people don't want to have to make all that big change. But if you kind of lay it out, and I'm glad you remember your time at my clinic, if you lay it out to say, well, here's the change that can happen, and then you can have the appetite suppression like a pill in a day, most people will give it a try. You know, and then, and just to clarify, not everyone knows what I'm going to be giving them when they come to me. Some people don't even know that I'm a weight loss doctor. So, um, the, I have a wide range of people in the clinic from low, you know, Medicaid, Medicare, low SES to people flying in from out of town. And that's been a great experience because I can see how people do it differently and how it can still work, even if you're eating at McDonald's or Burger King or Wendy's or, or if you're going to Whole Foods and Trader Joe's. And so there's a wide range. It's actually a very flexible kind of approach too. Absolutely. You know, that's a really big point. And, and that's where you first caught my eye is that, you know, I come from my, the naturopathic, you might say, has this sort of, I'm paraphrasing, so it's just my opinion, kind of uh, an elitist perspective on quality of food. It's a good topic. It, it's valuable. But some people think that they need this quality of food before they begin keto. And, right. and you're about, no, start where you are. If, if you really do eat McDonald's, just take the bun away. Don't right. do the fries. You know, and, and you got them going there. And it's like, I've seen a lot of these people, these people come through and it's like, that person's going to change your life just by giving up the bun. You know, and, and, and yeah, I kind of like, I want to, when, when are you coming back? I want to be back when you're, you're coming back. You know there's going to be a big change. But I really appreciate the fact that you take people where they're at and, and don't sort of interject that, you know, grass-fed beef. I mean, all that's nice, and we all wish we could have that, but it's not a necessity. You know, it's Well, and in relative potency, it's not the most important thing to do. But if you're taught today by some of these keto gurus, they're not telling you that, you can do eight of the things and those other two things you can relax on. They're saying you have to do all of these. So the, the terrible extreme is, well, you know, I saw the burger and it wasn't grass fed. So I just ate the bun too, you know, and no, 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 no. So you don't want people to, but I can see how you might think that 
logically, if, if you weren't taught the relative importance and cutting the carbs out is the most important thing, there may be more benefit to the grass-fed beef and the Kerrygold butter and the, you know, making your own salad dressings and all that. But, uh, I, you know, if, it's a, if it is an incremental benefit, I don't think it's going to be a big one. Or, or maybe there'll be selected subsets of people for whom they'll have uh, more benefit. But I don't see it as a big signal clinically. No, I agree. To go back, since you and I uh, see the application is in so many different conditions, like, like you talked about diabetes and uh, the infertility, you know, maybe they should have started here and then go over there. Have you ever thought, you know, since you know the docs personally on the other side of town saying, why don't we just call up Dr. Frank and say, hey, let's have lunch. I just thought we'd share this conversation. Or do you sort of see, yeah, it's the other side of town, but there's a whole ocean between me and the other side of town. You know, because well, you think it would be very intriguing. If, if there's a guy like you on the other side who wants to share interesting ideas that benefits their overall outcome, you would think it would be valuable. Yeah, and you know, most doctors who are building a practice will do that you know, in, in any kind of specialty, yep. but uh, you know, it's a six month waiting list to get into. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually can't take more people. Yeah. So I'm, I'm working on getting more, more practitioners to be trained right. like me because I don't think there's anything particularly unique about me. It's the method. And of course people want to see the guru and all that, but um, there are plenty of other doctors around the country who it popped up on their own or who've been trained by me who get the same results. So, um, yeah, but uh, calling another doctor, letting them know what you can do and send, or sending them a letter after the success is done is kind of a standard uh, build your practice. Um, yeah, no, I hear that. I yeah, no, it'd be less on that and more about <clears throat> just FYI, you know, <laughs> and say, I'm, I'm booked up, so it's not about me, <laughs> you know? Right. I hear that. Speaking of of practice, do you ever sort of see your obesity, lifestyle and obesity clinic, specifically your part of it, as being perhaps a national, semi-national sort of training for certification so docs can come in so they can sort of, you know, say, you know, we should do this at Dartmouth. We should do this at Stanford, University of Wisconsin, wherever. I don't know the medical school there. But have you thought of that? I mean, there... I think that's what's missing is a center that has a program for docs or whatever level of qualification you, you need to be required to do this sort of thing. You know, it's funny. You almost listed my alma maters, which I started at Stanford and then University of Wisconsin and University <laughs> of Kentucky and now at Duke. But um, yeah, so I do use the clinic as a teaching um, crucible, if you will, or, or teaching environment, although the, the number of people knocking on the door is precious few people. So <laughs> the, the approach I've taken is to uh, try to scale it up within an independent company and then train our own employees on how to do it. Uh, but I, I'm open to having uh, people come to the clinic and learn. In fact, um, there'll probably be a couple dietitians from the South China to, to come to learn and and it, you know it's not near to the level that it of uh, making money from the teaching uh, so get in now because i'm not charging much at all <laughs> um and and i've talked to the duke uh training programs that you know this is still such a small small thing in terms of university 
Uh, but I think training is really important, learning the um, relative importance of diet and then also the supportive nature of what we do. It's almost like teaching some, uh, a child how to ride a bike when you're the benevolent parent, not the one who says, dang it, you do it, you know, throw you down the hill. That's really important. It's an obesity medicine principle, actually, where you have to be very supportive. And But so I'm welcome, welcoming other doctors to come uh, all the time. And uh, at big conferences, I'll say, you're welcome. And then nobody comes. Um, my, <laughs> I, I don't get that. I, at the conference, you've been to a number of conferences since the conference we were at down in uh, low carb in uh, West Palm. But there was a South African doctor who now uh, works up in uh, Alberta, Canada, and he and his wife. We were sitting at the same table with uh, with uh, Doug, speaking of South Africans, and yeah. I said, "You know," um, and I think this was like his first foray into low carb. And I said, "You ought to go over and talk to Dr. Westman, and uh, he'd be more than happy to to have you over for you know do at least two days, his first office and second and return patients." It's it's a, it's a great system, you know, and so I don't know if he's, it was Marv was the thing, but anyway, that it would be life changing. I know it would be for him and how he's establishing his practice up there. So speaking of China, you're going to China for a conference. It's like you're, the demand for you yeah. is like not only in local cities, but it's like worldwide. The world is flat for you in a way. Well, I mean, it's um, I, I mean, I'm flattered that someone has looked to get. Uh, experience and to get teaching from world experts and they found me and they found Jackie Eberstein who worked with Dr. Atkins for 30 years. So, but the, um, again, we need to train so many more people to do this. And at the moment, there's not all that many people asking to be honest for the teaching and training. And I hope that will change as the popularity of keto grows, you know, talking about the doctor you met, um, it's unusual for the doctor a doctor to go visit another doctor's practice to learn. You know, we expected to learn until we get it um, spoon fed in front of us, right? The drug rep comes, brings the article, and then we learn. So we're relatively spoiled. We might go to a big conference and someone gets up and speaks. And so it's, um, but that's how I learned from Dr. Atkins. I actually went to his office and sat in the room seeing patients and even today, that's what's required to get over a lot of these barriers. Mm. Now, and so last year, we published two papers on the use of a keto diet for obesity mm-hmm. and the use of a keto diet for diabetes. But and, you know, in reading the papers, I can see someone reading it and go, "Well, that doesn't work," or "I can't believe that that you know I can't you know." So there's still such a a big hurdle for people to overcome seeing a practice in action. And now, you know, there are, you know, half a dozen practices that I know around the country. So there may be one near where a doctor lives today, so they don't have to travel all the way to Durham, where I practice. But so don't, I I guess if you're a doctor listening, don't underestimate the power of going to visit another doctor and why something like this, because it's a grassroots thing, is not going to get the guideline pushing it or, or the pharma company behind it, because it's, it's not part of that uh, paradigm at all. No, I agree. I agree. You know, um, when I felt such benefit, I had to go back for my way of looking at keto besides going to the conferences. And I'm glad I did back at the metabolic therapy conferences what, four years ago when they started. Um, 
I had to go back and read the history of all this, you know, starting with Dr. Wilder and even before, you know, the whole fasting to epilepsy to type 1 diabetes to obviously the, you know, isolation of insulin, but really the genesis and uh, the era of, you know, Wilder just, Dr. Wilder just came up with the idea in 1921 thinking, you know, wouldn't, it wouldn't be nice if we came up with something a little better than fasting, <laughs> you, know? Yeah. you know, fasting can like go so far. Um, yeah. And, you know, and then, and then, uh, I think I keep on thinking it was Peterman, but you know, three years later, 24 came out with it. But I guess the point I'm trying to say is like when I, you know, I, all these little documents, I luckily I, was, I had to ask somebody who worked at a university library, Hey, can you get me this? Hey, can you get me this? You know, and you see what came out of the, the Mayo hospital, I think Dr. Mayo was there. So they didn't even call it a clinic that it was this kind of congeniality of let me present what I think I'm talking about. And and it invited positive criticism and negative or, 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 or cross-questioning. And it was this sort of innocence of just, you know, it was uncommercially associated with anything. The, here's my, you know, it looked like they typed it up on their, on their typewriters back then. <laughs> and sent it, in. it was that innocent, but the conversations and all the subsequent comments were just very constructive and very exciting. And then so I think that era has, has left in, in a way, but maybe it's coming back. And, and you kind of embody that as like saying, ah, I, this is interesting and you'll ask questions, but it's um, this, the silence of show me what to do and I'll do it. No, 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 no. It's the thinking for themselves was, I guess, yeah. back then for whatever reason. Another question I have, you know, that besides the changes of the comfort of the ketogenic diet, we were talking about hormones before, the idea of you know, maybe hormones, whether it's insulin or thyroid or sex hormones are getting a little more sensitized. And so therefore, when we take these measurements, maybe those measurements, because they're more sensitive, are lower. And we're getting kind of a misunderstanding of, of this. I'm sort of throwing out a concept of, I think things are about to change because if you're on keto, it doesn't work in the same way with higher glucose and insulin levels like the carb, carb eaters have. Right. What are your thoughts of that? It says, well, that's, is that too esoteric or there's something to that? Well, I, I'm I'm not quite sure what you mean. If um, I think the the normal ranges are going to be different, if that's that, it. If that's so the, the um, I mean, if you just step back, if someone is in ketosis, they have a ketone level of 1.5 millimole in their blood. That's ab abnormal on the the level of <laughs> yeah, right. ketones because you're not supposed to have ketones in the blood, right. right? So there's the first. Oh, you're not normal, and then. The glucose, actually, I've seen people with a glucose of 30 and they feel fine because they're running on ketones. So they don't get hypoglycemic symptoms where they would have had before. Uh, and so all sorts of things. And, you know, the, I'm going to try to tackle these concepts in lectures this year um, at different conferences uh, starting this next uh, week in Denver. And there'll be videos taping the meetings and the, the lectures, I'm sure, and have them out there. But it's, there's a new normal range that has to be created. And cholesterol is going to be the big one where, yeah, you might have an LDL cholesterol of 200, 300. It's okay. You know, and that's the um, uh, last area of pushback where even today, you know, 20 years after I saw my first higher cholesterol level and I didn't freak out. Oh, well, actually in one of our first papers, we dropped someone out of the study because of the, the LDL going up. 
but now I don't, <laughs> I don't do that. Yeah, that was in the one of the, uh, anyway, I went back to re- read that because we were also concerned at the time and that I don't have those concerns. In fact, I've begun uh, thinking more like the cholesterol skeptics. Ufi Ravenskov in uh, Sweden has a group called um, Thinks, which is a group of cholesterol skeptics. And I, I'm beginning to see the wisdom of what they've been saying for a long time, mm-hmm. which is the... Um, Cholesterol itself is not that important in the blood as a uh, marker of health and and something to treat. Truly, truly. Certainly on the cholesterol side, their HDL. I remember the, the only patient, there was this one patient I had consistently was 108. I'm thinking, it must be a genetic predisposition. Now I'm thinking, anybody on keto, oh, you should be around 100. I mean, not necessarily. But yeah, the HDLs go way up. Yeah. They go yep. way up. And the trigs go way down and it's like... And life is good on that. I was thinking about, you know, so these that's a, that's a big concept, though, these new normal ranges. You know, it kind of like says that, oh, my gosh, we really don't know what's going on. Um, well, <laughs> you know, I mean, for people who are locked in, not only, not only on a per lab basis, you know, this is just the average of that lab. And, you know, they're all that. It's like, no, we're scrapping the whole thing. <laughs> Well, um, you know, we're starting to get more clinical trial data that could all be assembled um, or surveying people who are doing keto to get all of their data together to not say, oh, your LDL is high, stop doing it. It's what is your LDL and let's use that as kind of a new normal range. So, you know, I don't see that as a uh, insurmountable thing. At the moment, I do a lot of reassuring of people to look at the triglyceride and HDL as opposed to the triglyceride and, excuse me, total and LDL cholesterol. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a different normal range. Um, Well, it's almost like um, I think we'll be able to predict these things, like predicting what would happen on the moon with different gravity. Yeah. I mean, I wonder how close their predictions were to the actual measurements of you know like how far the golf ball went when they hit the golf ball or something because the problem today though the metabolic uh, um, modeling that I've seen done for the metabolomics it's called Mm -hmm. they don't include the low carb data in their modeling so Mm -hmm. they can't the the results are skewed and and don't so they have to (laughs) uh, use the all the data in order to create the accurate modeling of the human metabolism and hopefully that'll happen uh, now that research is going on and and that's what's exciting is that for so long this couldn't be studied yeah and now it can yep no absolutely absolutely i i uh, i remember for a while really going deeply into the microbiome and with all the enterotypes you know and what was a healthy one and what wasn't a healthy one and i just kind of toss most of that away because the microbiome for the most part is secondarily caused by the diet. The diet changes the microbiome. Right. And so, (laughs) and so it's like, that's sort of a duh, but it's like, so it's really what now we're back to talking about diets, the different diets. And, and so I remember this is now six years ago in our naturopathic chat group. They say, Oh, that's a terrible microbiome. You know, it's a high fat diet and you're worried about all these, you know, LPS and so on and so forth. I'm thinking, oh. I don't think so. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm still waiting for, for the um, good studies to show that I should be worried about or care about the microbiome. I mean, there's some pretty remarkable 
things that I've heard rumor of, you know, taking the normal fecal material, putting it in someone else and having miraculous changes. Well, that, it seems like there'll be those instances, but to take probiotics to, to, so to eat carbs and to take probiotics to, to counter the carbs and the micro, you know, this makes no sense. Just don't eat the carbs. <laughs> and, or another way to say it is that the keto diet, low fat, uh, excuse me, low carb, high fat diet has been around for 150 years before anyone said anything about a microbiome, you know? So that gives me faith that what I'm doing without regard to the microbiome can still work because it does. No, I agree. <laughs> I agree. And I, I caught that when you were talking to, you know, a number of your patients that they would bring these up and you say, you know, <clears throat> don't worry about that. You know, that's, you know, you can go that you, we can do this without worrying about that. And it was so relieving, I think to them, they, they wanted to sort of show that they were aware. Right. Of anyway. And you go, no, it's just, you know, let's, this is, we're just going to do this. And so you're famous for page four and that's how I met you at the end of your lecture at the first metabolic therapy conferences in Tampa. Do you want to be known by a page four? I mean, this is like the... <laughs> <laughs> well, page four, actually, a little trivia about it. It came from Dr. Atkins and Jackie Eberstein mm -hmm. when I visited in 1998, and I asked to study it. So we borrowed their materials, and page four was actually... Therefore, it was designed and honed uh, through about 60,000 people in New York City to become a, an effective tool. And then uh, we used it in our research studies, and then... I made a mistake of saying, if you lose page four, I'll email it to you in a video that was put up on YouTube. So a fraction of the hundreds of thousands of people have emailed me for page four. So yeah, it's kind of funny. It's morphed into, you know, page 16, 17, and 18 in the Heal Care Handbook and, and in other places. It'll probably be page four and five in a, a book if I ever get it done in the popular press. So, um, no, I think that'd be fine. I was known for page four, but the marketing people tell me we need a better, <laughs> better name. Yeah, well, it'll be your softball shirt or something. So, <laughs> speaking of now, tell us about Heal. I think that's a phenomenal idea. And, I mean, it's, it's, it's something I think just take over the earth, and it, it probably will. You know, I mean, it has it, it tie that with the Facebook groups and what you're doing. So, why did you start Heal? And yeah. Heal stands for healthier eating and living. It's kind of a simple and yet healing, healing people, that sort of feeling about the name. But it's basically scaling up the keto lifestyle teaching at a distance if there are no medical problems and then helping people get off medications if needed in a clinical setting. So it's, uh, the whole idea is just to bring the keto idea, low carb, high fat, LCHF, if you will, to more and more people and not going from the top down, waiting to change guidelines and getting systems to change. It's creating a company that just starts it now. Mm -hmm. We train our, train our own people, partners who know how to help people at a distance, who don't have a lot of medical training because the people don't have medical problems. But then if you are dealing with people in the clinical setting with medical problems, the practitioners are trained to help people get off the medications mm -hmm. safely. And so, you know, it's a grassroots change, meaning we started with very little money. And the idea is to grow organically by the coaching at a distance and also by planting um, clinics within clinics. 
So we don't, we don't actually, so I, as part of the Obesity Medicine Association, I've known many doctors who buy their own practice, they own the brick and mortar, right. they have to sweep the floor for a couple of years because they don't have money to hire anyone. And, really? then, and then over their career, they have one or two practices, but they max out. Often it's a family business because it's just labor intensive to do all of those things. And you need the capital to do that. So for us to grow organically, what we do is we plant a, a practitioner in someone else's clinic, a host clinic. So you find a provider who wants this for their patients. They're familiar with the keto approach and then they want it for their patients and then they realize they can't do it themselves. So we've opened several clinics now, one in Pinehurst, North Carolina, where the doctors there are referring their patients to the HEAL clinic. Now the HEAL clinic starting up, you know, again, uh, grassroots organically is out of pocket at the moment. It doesn't take insurance, although we give what's called a super bill so people can apply for payment through their health system or pre-tax medical reimbursement plan. But um, so the idea is to grow in, in different areas. And, and I guess the other thing is it's like creating beachheads to, for in an invasion. I mean, you know, if we, if we went to the capital city, we'd, we'd lose, right? We don't have the material. So we're creating these little beach beds to, and, uh, to treat as many people as we can. And um, it, it, it's exciting. I mean, it, it takes time to open clinics. It, it takes less time to treat people at a distance. So we're marketing now more heavily our coaching at a distance. Um, and we're in the middle of an online public offering so that people can actually buy stock in the company to help it grow. And the first thing we'll do with the, the new um, money that we raise is to market the existing clinics and to grow the coaching side so that we can actually be lean and mean and, and not be burdened by the brick and mortar clinic. Right. Now, you know, had, if we uh, had millions of dollars to start up, we probably would open brick and mortar clinics or, and plant them in areas, but that's not how we've started. So I could envision the heel clinics actually becoming more of a brick and mortar thing. In fact, we've uh, mused that we should create a, like a home, uh, home base clinic program, maybe even residential you know, with a hotel or, or place where people could go. Um, and that might even be in the future, get an old hospital and, revamp it so that you just de-prescribe people, um, uh, take people off their medicines, you know, under supervision. So where the company will grow, um, because we're lean and mean, we can actually change direction uh, based on what um, seems best uh, at the moment. So we've actually taken about three years to develop and hone the business model, the, the website, the, the training of our practitioners, and so it's like we're relaunching the company now. Yeah, it's amazing. So do you see, so for the, the telemedicine or the remote coaching, do you sort of see that as one headquarters of a few people that are now, you know, their days are booked up. And as those schedules get, you're sort of building up one location for that. And then um, having a practitioner, as you're saying, in somebody else's practice, that will happen throughout the country. And those are sort of, right. both are kind of non bricks and mortar, except for the initial. Right. Yes. Although as we're starting, the most of the people we have are part-time working out of their own homes. So it's more the model of um, remote work 
And, and a lot of people like that. You know, we get a lot of um, nurses who are fed up with the current uh, diabetic teaching or um, people who've been affected in a positive way by the keto diet actually becoming a partner in order to teach people, other people how to do it. So, um, but the brick and mortar um, location, destination place, uh, you know, it might start as a retreat for a week somewhere, you know, or, or I, I don't know. <laughs> if keto truly explodes and, and doesn't have some unforeseen, you know, issue, uh, it's usually political, right? Um, I, that may happen. Uh, something like a destination place you could go, you could come see me and a staff. Um, the Adapt Your Life company that I helped to start, which is a product company, is now going around the country having one-day seminars, and we get local experts and local support groups together with us going around doing the, the business of the, the meeting itself. And uh, that's another way just to plant little grassroots uh, growing in different areas um, and also that you get a database of people to sell the products to, of course, right. as a result of doing those things. So these two companies are, are my um, vision for how to grow uh, as best I can from just one clinic, one researcher and publications and you know that seem to be ineffective to scaling this up and really being able to treat tens if not hundreds of thousands of people People, I mean, this is this is a epidemic we're in. It's a disaster, and we need people who are trained to be almost like relief workers. And so that's really what I see the, the partners, our coaches, as we're helping people, uh, you know, who desperately need it. And the, the problem is so big that we don't always need a um, formally trained obesity medicine specialist to be in their own clinic. To I mean, we can't train enough of those people even. So uh, how, how to tackle as many people as we can and then make a business out of it um, is the goal. I agree. I, you know, I, I see cultural centers. In other words, you're, you're, you're obviously American, U.S. bound for the time being, but whether it's, you know, you're going to need people in France that speak French and uh, yeah. Germany yeah. and, you know, and there are obviously a lot of bilingual and quadrilingual in those countries, but to have that hub there that speaks that language to those people, um, that's how I sort of see these others of a, of a duplication for yourself. Let's go back to Adapt. Um, I know them and I like them and I love their products. And so how did that idea come about and, and why did that come about? I mean, I think that's important. Yeah, uh, well, my business partner is from South Africa. And several years ago, Professor Timothy Noakes flipped from a carb eater and runner to a, and actually wrote a book called The Lore of Running, where he told people to eat carbs to go run a marathon, for example. So he read this book, The New Atkins for a New You, which I'm an author on, and he changed his own life, which is, this is usually the story of how things change, changed his own life and then started to get into the, the science of it and wrote a book called Real Meal Revolution, which changed the culture of South Africa. My business partner, Glenn Finkel, is an avid cyclist, and he and his wife and wanted to start a new company. They had sold one, and they wanted to get into the health domain and to do good in the world. You know, um, mm -hmm. And so he approached me and said, let's do a product company. 
And so I'm helping him making sure that the carbs are low and that it's clean. There isn't, there aren't a whole lot of preservatives and additives. And um, so that company has grown and its most popular bar is called a keto mini bar. It's about the size of a mini Snickers bar, but it's two grams of carbs uh, per bar, total nut net. And that has a nice niche, um, but it, um, because it's based in South Africa, Adapter Life is um, constrained by the shipping to the U.S. and all that. And so he's in the growing pains of the Adapter Life is in the growing pains of moving, getting manufacturing somewhere else. And But it, it's been exciting to be a part of that because I, I'd never really been involved with someone who is so entrepreneurial as Glenn is. <laughs> and in a good way. I mean, yeah, I agree. Look, okay. look at the world in a different way. And, you know, I'm, I'm an academic researcher in a clinic, you know, and so I have certain strengths and a lot of weaknesses on the entrepreneurial side. So I've partnered with uh, entrepreneurial people with the heal clinics and with adapt your life. And I provide the scientific grounding and the, um, you know, um, endorsement of the products, although I'm pretty low key about it still. You no, know, you are low-key about it. So it's ad- I want to give it a bigger headline. It's Adapt Your Life. I've gotten to know Glenn as well. And by the way, the, the, that Keto Bar, a lot of their products, that Keto Bar is remarkable. If you want to do their blood work, you know, if they really want to stick themselves before and after, uh, he's got such an edge there. And, you know, and um, he is. He's a very sharp mind. But I wanted to, to plug in. The reason I think that this is very valuable to do and he's really a food scientist in my mind if I, and I hope that he'll do a podcast too. I think he will. Uh, he really has worked hard and really formulating, reformulating. No, that's not right. It's a lot yeah. of work, uh, kind of a chemist on yeah. a macro level is that, you know, I hate to say this as a naturopath that, you know, you want people to go just whole foods. Everybody wants to be whole foods, but guess what? There's times in which you want something good and you want, and you're on that road trip or whatever it is. And there they are. They are the, some of the, I think the best products I've seen out there and for their purity. And it's part of our culture. You know, we can't all yeah. go and pick the, or, or have our stock of uh, hard boiled eggs or bacon and mayo or whatever the thing is in the car with us, but this, or the game or at the hike, we're doing uh, so I think it, it really provides a, a great service um, great yeah me too <laughs> yeah I know I know so anyway that's cool well I'm gonna let you go you've been over generous like you always are and your 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 ears with your headphones are probably hurting but you know I really think it's a wonderful conversation again I thank you for the time that you've uh, allowed me to uh, join you in your patience I just think you have uh, I got to see the respect that people had for you. I got to see all the work that you actually do. I mean, you really put in the hours, especially on the return office calls. That is, I think we saw, do we see 32 back to back? It was nonstop. Yeah. I was thinking it was an easier job when we saw the first patient calls. We could sit down and talk with them. Uh-huh. <laughs> it changed a little bit. Well, so it's my you. pleasure. I'm, thank you for your interest. And thanks for getting the information out to broader audience. Really appreciate that. No, it's going to go further. It's, uh, I, I think you're the guy at the edge, and there's so much more to say. Maybe we'll have you back. Thanks, Eric. Dr. Anytime. Weston. Anytime. Thanks, Carl. Hi, this is Dr. Goldcamp. I thought I would take a moment of your time to tell you about something that we've been working on for a long time, and that is our product of C8 Keto MCT Oil. How is it different, and why would you even care about it? It's the highest purity you can find in the market, which is 99.7% 
caprylic acid triglyceride. And by the way, that's backed up by a certificate of analysis. It's not just me making up these numbers. But I think the bigger story behind our C8 MCT oil is not only that it is the most efficient way for you to create ketones naturally, and that is all three ketones, your beta-hydroxybutyrate, your acetoacetate, and your acetone. That's important. But the other part is it supports sustainably harvested palm oil. Why would you care? Because all the other C8 oil products out there, not the MCT oils, but the C8 MCT oils, some people call them ketogenic oils out there, they come from palm oil. And palm farming, specifically palm kernel farming in Southeast Asia, is decimating the rainforest there. Absolutely. You go on right now to Google or to YouTube and say palm oil Southeast Asia, and you will be in tears at the end of 10 minutes when you see the destruction that's happening. This is not part of that. This is the exception. So it's called RSPO, Roundtable on Sustainable Palm Oil. You have to apply for it. You have to be audited by them. And it's a long, rigorous process. And it took us two years to bring this product to market. I hope you care. And I know you'll care about the efficiency in which it helps you make ketones. By the way, we don't drink this like it's a fluid. We put a little bit in our coffee. We make our mayonnaise out of it. We make... uh, various salad dressings out of it when we have a salad. It's basically a, I hate to say crutch, but it's my aid to keeping me in ketosis when I want to be in ketosis. It's fast. It's long lasting, certainly long, longer lasting than exogenous ketones and much more holistic, as I mentioned, with all three ketones. That's about as much as I want to say. I hope you look into it. I hope you uh, take your ketones readings on a regular basis as along with your glucose. If you do, then you really value this product. All the best, and I thought you should know.